Warning, real life, real crime, the podcast should be for listeners that are 18 years of older, as each episode may contain strong adult language and descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature that were told to me by the victims of the crimes or the criminals who perpetrated the crimes against the victims. Please use this as your warning. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Before we get started today, I want to take a few moments and give some shout-outs to all of our fans from across the United States and across the globe. It's been awesome, y'all. You've been killing it. You've been leaving downloads and reviews and going above and beyond and just making it really special. And We appreciate each and every one of you, and we thank you for tuning in. I especially want to give a shout-out to Miss Rachel Franzen from... Alaska, who created a private Facebook group for us under Real Life, Real Crime, and Miss Kimberly Stowers, who uh, agreed to be a administrator for the page and has been instrumental in promoting us throughout all the different uh, true crime groups on Facebook and other places, I guess. But thank you to those two ladies and Really, really appreciate you. And if you want to join our closed group on Facebook, just send us a a request to be added and we'll add you to it. And that page contains a lot of bonus materials from the episodes, including news stories and press releases and pictures of the perpetrators and uh, some locations of the homicides from episode two and other valuable information uh, that will help you enjoy each episode better. But thank you so much, and we really appreciate you, and thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. I'm Woody Overton, your host. This episode will be a two-part series titled Until Death Do Us Part. It's going to tell the story of the life and the tragic death of Jana Lynn Stern Pell. Jana Stern was born August 1983 in Biloxi, Mississippi to Mark and Nancy Stern. Mark and Nancy Stern were good parents. They had already had two young boys before Janet's birth. They were very religious people, strong Christians in their faith, and basically just your solid, good American family who went to church every Sunday and prayed all the time and raised their children the best that they could. They moved from time to time due to Mark Stern's work and eventually ended up settling in South Louisiana where they raised the family. By all accounts, Jenna was a beautiful baby girl. She had brown hair and blue eyes. As she grew up, everybody liked her. She's just a good kid and had many friends. She liked everybody she met and maybe she was a little naive and believing that she could change people but she loved the underdog right she loved pulling for the classic underdog if you will she lived a good childhood the family was a close-knit family 
When Janet was around 17 years old, she started to rebel against her family, if you will. And one day, Mark and Nancy came home and found a note that said Janet was moving out and moving in with another family. And that's kind of freaked her parents out. They were upset, distraught. They didn't know where she was. And by this time, Janet's older brother had married and moved out of the home, and her other brother was working away from home. So they said that Janet probably was lonely during this time and just searching and trying to find herself like so many teenagers do at that age. But, of course, they were distraught and worried about her, and they didn't hear from her for a couple of weeks. And finally, she called and said, Hey, Mom, Dad, I'm okay. I'm living with a new family, and this is where I'm going to be. And that was the end of the communication. And so her parents prayed and prayed for her. And eventually, a couple months later, Jana came home and told about her life with this other family. And basically, the family used her up as a babysitter. She was babysitting for them full-time, not getting paid. And she had become romantically involved with a young man that was staying with this family also, not a direct relative. But the family had even went so far as suggesting that she get on Social Security or apply for a Social Security check so she could be independent and I believe that these people that were taking advantage of her and of her innocence and her naivety would probably would have taken her Social Security check from her. But at some point, she saw them for what they were, and she moved home. Her parents stated that she came home, reconnected with her friends, and got a job and started to live her life again. They had their daughter back. At this time, one of Janice's friends introduced her to a boy named Christopher Pell. Now, this friend and Christopher Pell used to date. They had broken up, and she was trying to get back with Christopher Pell, but Jan was introduced to him, and they kind of hit it off. Christopher Pell was described as being shy and quiet. Physically, he was probably five foot eight, five foot nine, dark black hair, nothing overly handsome about him if you will but just kind of plain and average looking guy so they started dating and she introduced Pell to the family they basically didn't like him right away the parents stated that they noticed that he was kind of controlling of her and even her oldest brother and his wife told her to say hey look we don't like him we don't like the way that he's treating you but at the same time, her parents didn't think she was really that serious about Christopher Pell. You know, they thought of it as a phase and then someone that she was dating. And Mark Stern's mother died, who lived in England. So Mark and Nancy made the trip to England for the funeral. And while they were gone on the trip, they spoke with Jana every day over the phone. And it seemed as everything was as normal as it usually was. Jana didn't say anything about Christopher Pell or or anything unusual was going on out of the ordinary. But when Mark and Nancy returned home, lo and behold, they find out that while they were gone, Christopher Pell and Jana got married. This blew the parents away. They couldn't believe that they got married. They were distraught, naturally, right? It's our only daughter, and not only does the father never get to walk Jana down the aisle at her wedding. Hell, they didn't even get to go to her wedding. 
they didn't believe it so much to the point where they even went to the Livingston Parish Courthouse and pulled the marriage record to see if it was true. And they were upset with Jana, and when they asked her about it, she said that Christopher told her that her family didn't like him because they were jealous of him. That's why they said things about him being controlling, etc., and that he wanted her to marry him while they were gone. If she didn't marry him while they were gone, he was going to leave her and never marry her. Well, Jana had long let it be known that her goal in life was to have a successful marriage and kids, and evidently she thought Christopher Pell was the one. So after the parents process it for a little bit, Jana's still their daughter. They love her, and so they try to make the best of a bad situation and include Christopher in their lives. In fact, they had a cruise scheduled for that Christmas, and they turned it from a Christmas cruise into a celebration of Jana and Christopher's wedding. But on the cruise, Christopher's true character began to shine through, if you will, even more. And the fact that on the cruise, he, he tried to keep her away from her family. And when he was in their presence, he would say things that would embarrass her, but no matter what he did, no matter how bad he treated her in front of them or try to control her and keep her from them, she would always take up for him. She would say, look, you just don't know him like I know him. I love him, and he loves me, and he's just taking care of me, and he's protecting me, and he's my husband. So they returned home from the cruise, and Mark gave Christopher a job with his company, and he would described as being lazy and they called him on the phone several times talking to his ex-girlfriend and eventually the job didn't work out christopher quit he just really didn't want to work is how it was presented at the same time christopher really began to exert his control over Jana. he made her delete all of her friends phone numbers from her cell phone and he wouldn't attend any stern family functions if Jana went for a visit she went on her own Christopher wanted no part of it including when Jana's brother got married not only did she not not participate in the wedding she didn't even show up for it and she told her family that was her decision of course they naturally knew it was Christopher that was influenced it because Jana was a very strong family person, but Christopher was slowly just choking her off from him. And she told her parents, no, it wasn't Chris's decision. It was my decision. I just didn't want to go. During this time, they Christopher and Jana lived with Christopher's mother. Christopher couldn't hold down a job. Jana worked, supporting them both, and the mother didn't have a job either. So basically she was supporting all three of them. They didn't have that much contact with her. But one time that she did come for a visit, they saw bruising on her face. When they asked her about it, she said that she accidentally ran into a door. Of course, they were suspect that Chris was beating on her, but she would never admit it. And she blamed it on running into a door. But this went on for almost three years, that a couple times during that period, Jana actually left Chris for a few days and would return home to the Stern family saying that she was going to leave him, but she never did. He would always call and tell her how much he loved her and how sorry he was and how he wanted her back, and he would change. And on 
one of those occasions when she went back, she said, I will come back to you, but I need my family involved in my life. I need to be able to see my family and visit with them and have a relationship with them. And he consented. He said, okay, that's fine. He said, but if you're going to go over there on a visit, the only way you can go be with them is if someone from my family accompanies you on the visits. So that went on, like I said, for almost three years and just total control. That's how he operated. At some point, Jana had enough and she went home for real. She told her parents, she said, this time it's it. I'm not going back to him. There's nothing he can do. And the parents were happy about it. They thought they were getting a break from him. But it was really was just the beginning of her torment. He would call continuously all day long and beg her to come home. I think one point he called over 150 times in one day. Janet ended up giving the phone to Mark, her dad, and he would answer it every time Christopher would call when he heard Mark's voice on the phone. He just wouldn't say anything. He'd just sit there in dead silence. But, like I said, he continued to call. And one time he called saying, hey, I'm starving. My mama's starving. You owe it to us to bring us some food. The It's your job. It's your duty to take care of us. So, Jenna, I guess you would say bought, bought it, right, or felt sorry for him. So she got him some food. And she brought it over there, and Christopher Pell showed his appreciation by raping her and beating her. And evidently, the beating was pretty savage because when she got home, her parents saw severe bruising on her legs and her body to the point where, I mean, they knew. By this time, they know that Christopher's beating her. But again, she didn't admit to it at that point. She didn't give an explanation, if you would, but the parents had the forethought to take the pictures of the bruising and the injuries to her body, even though she never said anything about the rape at that point. They took the pictures to document it. And Chris continued to call and harass her. But finally, one day he called and said, you know what? Hey, I met a lady on the internet that's from New York, and she wants me to come live with her. And Jan was like, okay. And he said, but... I don't have a suitcase and I need a ride to the airport. He said, I want you to bring me a suitcase and give me a ride to the airport and I'll be gone. And Jana did it. I mean, there's a, you can't really explain someone's logic, I guess, when they've been mentally and physically abused like that for so long. Her parents were aghast. Mark and Nancy were blown away by the fact that she did it, but she actually brought the boy a suitcase and took him to the airport and then went home. Guess what? It didn't take long for the lady in New York to find out what kind of scumbag Christopher Pell was, and evidently she kicked him out and he moves back to Louisiana. When he gets back to Louisiana, continues to call Jana and just repeatedly harass her, etc. And, and Nancy Stern heard Jana on the phone with him one day, and she told him, she said, listen, I'm never coming back to you. You've hurt me too much. I'm never, ever coming back to you period and she hung up the phone it was at that point or some point shortly thereafter that she told her parents about the rape and she consented to file for divorce and to get a protective order 
or what we call a restraining order in Louisiana against Christopher Pell. Let me explain about restraining orders here. In the state of Louisiana, you could get a restraining order against someone that you're in a relationship with. If you have to go file a police report, state what type of abuse or what it is that happened or that's putting you in fear of this person, whatever it is that they're doing. So when you file the police report, you first, if the judge finds there's merit to what you filed, and really it's, it's not a hearing or anything at this point. You just have to go in and, and fill out the paperwork at the clerk's office and, and have the police report. Then the judge will issue what they call a TRO or a temporary restraining order. Now, that restraining order, law enforcement goes and serves it on whoever it is that you're making it against, and it gives them a court date, usually like five days away or something. It gives them a court date and where they have to show up to court and answer to the allegations and prove why this temporary restraining order should not be granted by the judge and made a permanent restraining order in which this person can no longer have any type of contact or be within a certain vicinity of the person, et cetera, where they go to jail. So right before, prior to her going to file an actual restraining order, she had a new job at Popeye's Fried Chicken in Walker, Louisiana. Now, Walker, Louisiana at the time was one of the fastest growing towns in Livingston Parish. It was just booming economically. A lot of people were moving out of Baton Rouge. Livingston Parish borders East Baton Rouge Parish, and in they had the top or one of the top public school systems in the state, and East Baton Rouge had one of the worst. And so people were moving there in droves. And this is after Hurricane Katrina had come through in 2005. So you also had people that never moved back to the New Orleans area that moved to Livingston Parish. So anyway, the little town of Walker, where there used to be nothing but an exit off the interstate, now it's booming. They built a Super Walmart, and in front of the Super Walmart, they built the Popeye's Fried Chicken. And if you're not from the South, you may have never heard of Popeye's Fried Chicken, but in the South, it's a pretty well-known establishment. And I mean, you know, they they have really good fried chicken. Everybody loves it, right? So the Popeye's was built. It stood alone in front of the Walmart and it had some empty fields beside it that were zoned for commercial construction. Now, in 2019, you can't find an empty spot anywhere in Walker. It's that big of a city. But back then, it, it was a city that it was growing really fast, and their police department was still a small police department. Hunter Grimes, a good friend of mine I worked in uniform patrol and was on a special response team with, had left the sheriff's office to go be the chief of police in Walker. They had no crime, almost no crime. They hadn't had a murder in years. I mean, like 10 or 15 years, something ridiculous. It was just a small, good community. So Jana got the job at the Popeyes, and everybody liked her there. They said she always had the big smile on her face, and she had a voice of an angel. But one night, Chris shows up at the Popeyes, and he goes to Jana and he demands to use her car and she's like no and she had the keys to the car in her hand and he snatches the keys out of her hand and goes outside and throws the keys into the to the vacant field beside Popeyes and he left and Jana was very upset she called her parents and her parents 
told her to call the cops, call the Walker Police Department. And But she was so upset that the manager said, hey, you know what, Jana, you just need to go home for the night. We don't need you here when you're in this frame of mind and, and you're crying, et cetera. And so Jana did, ended up calling Walker Police Department, and the officer responded, and he took the report, and she told him, she said, look, I'm afraid of him. We, you know, we're separated. I'm going, I'm going to file for divorce. And the, the officer told us, well, you know, just don't talk to him anymore. Stay away from him because no good can come of it. So Jana went to file the restraining order or file for the temporary restraining order against Christopher. And when she was there, I don't know who it was she spoke to, but she, somebody had to make the report. And Jana's mom, Nancy, was with her. And she was detailing what happened, and they brought the photographs of all the injuries to her body from the day that she had brought the food to Christopher, and he raped her and beat her. And so she she listed that in the account, and she told whoever it was, the officer or the detective, that she wanted to file charges against Chris. And the detective said, Nah, you, you probably shouldn't do that because then he can turn around and file charges against you. And she was like, well, but I didn't do anything. And and he said, yeah, but, you know, it'll be he said, she said, and and you, you'll have to get arrested too, and then you'll have a criminal record. And she was like, why would I have a criminal record? I didn't do anything. And he said, well, you just don't want to take that chance. Well, let me explain that. My thought process on that, it's just shitty police work but unfortunately there's good and bad in every profession and some cops will spend more time trying to get out of work than than it would take actual time if they had actually gone and done whatever the job was that they're trying to get out of and in this case I think about it from time to time and I wonder whoever it was that she went and filed the initial report with that if that person, when they found out what happened to Jana later on, I wonder if they had any regrets about not actually going and, and arresting him and letting her file it, getting a warrant and, and going arresting him for the charges. But I guess that's neither here nor there now, or hindsight's twenty twenty. But anyway, she she agrees that she doesn't want to be arrested or have Christopher turn around and file any kind of charges on her. So she can just goes and continues to go through the process uh, of applying for the temporary restraining order and decides that she would just let the the law enforcement serve Christopher with the temporary restraining order and that that would be good enough for now and that she was going to file for divorce. But in in fact, that she had an appointment for the following week with legal aid to actually – file for divorce and because she didn't have the money for an attorney and legal aid was going to help her do it because it was a case of domestic violence. So once she left the officer making the report and they walk her down to the clerk's office, the clerk has a certain amount of paperwork for the, the temporary restraint order that they have to fill out. And so they filled it out and they attached the photographs, et cetera. And, and then the clerk has to walk it back to a judge to get it signed, the temporary restraining order. While that was being done, the clerk told Jana Pell, and, and Nancy Stern, her mother, was the witness to this, and 
clerk just mentioned it offhand and said, hey, you know what? That restraining order won't stop a bullet. Jenna's mom thought that was weird for her to say that, right? And, well, you know what? Turns out that the clerk is right. But what she didn't know or was that not only did Jenna's temporary restraining order not stop a bullet, couldn't stop a razor-sharp knife from stabbing and slicing. So the temporary restraining order was signed by the judge. I believe that was that was on a Friday, and Christopher Pell was served with the with the paperwork on that Sunday. So on, on Sunday, Christopher was served with the restraining order. On April the fourth, two thousand seven, Christopher Pell woke up and called his mother and his cousin and said that he wanted to take them to lunch at Ryan's restaurant. Now, Ryan's is like a, a poor man's buffet, if you will, country-style buffet. And so they arrived, and they picked him up, and uh, actually the cousin drove and picked Chris and his mother up. He told him, I need to go to the pawn shop first. And so they went to the Bayou Pawn Shop in Denham Springs, Louisiana, which is the town that butts up to Walker. They didn't know it. He told him he needed to sell some jewelry to get some money. But what he did was he went in and purchased a 9mm pistol, Keltec, K-E-L-T-E-C, which is the cheapest piece of junk pistol that's made, and a box of ammunition, a box of bullets for a pistol. And then he comes out and gets back in the car the mom and the cousin said he was in a good mood. He was happy, and they, they went to lunch and at Ryan's, and he ate a couple plates of food, went to the buffet several times, and he was just in a good mood and happy-go-lucky. And, and afterwards, they were leaving, and he told them, he said, hey, look, just drop me off at Walmart. And that, Now, Ryan's was on the same strip where Popeye's was and the Walmart was. And so they drove him to the Walmart, and dropped him off, and they didn't know he had a gun. They, he had it in a bag from the pawn shop. When Chris is getting out the Walmart, his mama told him, said, now don't you go mess with, with Jana. If she's at work at Popeye's, don't you go over there and mess with her. And he said, oh, I'm not going over there. And she just said, well, how are you going to get home? He said, oh, I'll, catch, I'll catch a ride. Don't worry about it. And he said, I love y'all, and I'll see you later. So what Chris did was he went to the Popeyes and he went and he hid beside the, the dumpster at, which is in the back of the parking lot of the Popeyes restaurant. He hid there because he knew that Janet, one of her responsibilities at the restaurant was to take out the trash. But before Janet could bring out the trash, one of the assistant managers was getting off of work. And, and when she was leaving, she saw him and Janet had told the management that, she had a restraining order against Pell, but for whatever reason, the assistant manager asked him, she said, hey, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm, I'm waiting to talk to Jana. And she said, well, you can't wait outside in the parking lot like this. She said, you know, you, you need to go inside and wait in the restaurant. And so Christopher goes into the restaurant, and the manager says she was in her car, and she's getting ready to leave, and she just had a bad feeling about it. And so she went back into the Popeye's to go and warn the manager 
the head manager that was there that uh, Christopher was at the restaurant. When she walks into the door, lo and behold, sees and Christopher standing at the counter and he's arguing with Jana. And in an instant, he pulls out the pistol from the bag and he shoots Jana and shoots her in the right shoulder. Everybody freaks out, right? Um, The manager that's behind the counter with all the employees, they all take off running for the back door through the kitchen, and Jana did also. One of the patrons of the restaurant was a grandmother with, with her grandchild, and when she heard the shot and saw the shot, she hit her kid underneath the table. The only one that didn't run was that assistant manager who came back in to warn the head manager that Christopher was there. Christopher Pell shot Jana in the right shoulder and they all took off running and Christopher ran behind the counter afterwards. Now the assistant manager, her name was Tony. Uh, Tony ran after him to chase Christopher. He still had the gun and Jana was standing in the back doorway and she grabbed a fire extinguisher and she told Christopher, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with this. If you don't put the pistol down and put the, put the gun down, put the gun down. And he did. And when he set it down on the counter, she grabbed it and she ran out back out through the front door and she got outside. She told him, she said, I've got the gun. I got the gun. All the employees were out there with the manager. And of course everybody called 911. Um, She said, I got the gun. And she thought that Jana would be safe. But what she didn't know was that when that day when Christopher had bought the pistol, he also bought a hunting knife. The brand name is Kershaw, and, and y'all, the Kershaw knives are they're at the opposite. There, it's a very good knife. I use them. I'm a hunter, and I use them for skinning animals, and and they're razor, razor, razor sharp, and you just can't get any sharper. But so Christopher sets the the pistol down uh, the assistant manager tony takes off with the pistol runs outside and she says she she looks towards the back of the store sees christopher take off running across the field and and jana was laying in the, in the doorway kind of half in half out from the restaurant so she ran up to help her she thought she was down from the gunshot but she wasn't what she was down from christopher had taken out that kershaw knife and stabbed her eight separate times in her upper torso and then he took a knife and he slit her throat from ear to ear cut everything almost decapitating her and there there was a marine that was home on leave that was in the restaurant at the time he ran up to give assistance also and they said there was just a ton of blood and janet was white and tony the assistant manager said she actually felt janet's last heartbeat as the as blood escaped her body and she died right there and Christopher had had run across the field and but she stayed with her until the police arrived but it was obviously Jana Pell was dead and murdered brutally murdered uh, by Christopher Pell and it was true slaughter of a innocent young person that's going to conclude this week's episode. Now tune in next week for part two of the series until death do us part where I'm going to detail what happens next, which will include 
the the case, finding Christopher Pell, what happens to him, want to get a hold of him, the interrogation, and then the court proceedings, et cetera. It's, it's very interesting, and I hope you'll tune in and listen to it. It's important, and you'll you'll be amazed what it, what he does and what he says. But we want to thank y'all for listening, each and every one of you, and we appreciate you taking the time to tune in to Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Just want to thank everybody. Next Friday, we'll release part two of the series. Until death do us part. Thanks. I'm Woody Overton, your host. Until next week.